Welcome to the Visual Storytelling Podcast. My name is Fred Ranger, and I'm so happy that you're joining us this week for another inspirational conversation. Today, I'm quite happy because I have with me a special guest. I'm a big, big fan of his work, and we just had a you know small conversation pre-show, and I think this is going to be a good one. Ladies and gentlemen, we have with us today, Dotan Sagi. Dotan, welcome to the show. Thank you, Fred. It's great to be here. Well, you know what, Datan? Um, you are a uh, photographer that I truly respect. You're based in Los Angeles, but I want right. to give a bit of background on, on your, your history because I think it's, it's important and it's, it's interesting. Uh, you were born in Israel uh, right. as the son and grandson of uh, Holocaust survivors, and you grew up in uh, a modest Parisian suburb and moved to the U.S. as a young adult. And you've had a career in tech, actually 20-year career, and you uh, recently um, transitioned to full-time photographer and you know you're, you're you're big on documentary photography and so on and so forth but there are there are a couple moments in time uh, that are important for you and i think you attended the eddie adam workshop the Musserie photo workshop and studied photojournalism in santa monica college so i think this all that put together makes it for a very interesting story and i just want to mention also that the has been published in national geographic the guardian los angeles times and so on and so forth and also worked very closely with leica Wow, Dutton, that's a lot. That's a lot of, of things you've done uh, over the past couple of years. But for the three people who don't know you in the photography world, can you walk us through a bit on how, a bit more on that story of how you discovered photography and you decided to invest so much time, effort, and um, in doing this for full time? Yeah, um, well, so, I mean, my photography goes back quite a long time, although not, you know, as, as intensely as, as right now. But uh, I started uh, photographing about 30 plus years ago um, as a just as a young adult. Uh, and um, my dad was a photographer, not professional, but just, you know, very, um, you know, um, uh, a, a amateur photographer doing a, a lot of his own you know, development and, and everything. And he had a lab. And so I was kind of, I grew up in that environment and, and with, you know, him, with his love of photography kind of being, uh, you know, conveyed to me at a young age. And uh, so, I mean, a lot of these years were in the film days, obviously, uh, because I'm not, I'm not that young. So this was, you know, <laughs> dating back to the, you know, late uh, 80s, um, early 90s, and uh, starting, you know, photographing with Nikon cameras, film cameras, obviously, at the time, and uh, trying all kinds of different things. I mean, I, I went through so many phases between the portraits and landscapes, and I tried pretty much everything <laughs> there is to try with a camera, uh, including I, I had a medium format uh, landscape phase with where I was, you know, going everywhere with a big tripod and a, and a, a big camera. Uh, and um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, it's all about storytelling. It, I think it, it. I was when I felt like I was maybe strong enough technically to to capture moments because I think it's a, especially back when you know you had uh, um, you know film cameras and it wasn't as quite as as easy. Um, it was intimidating, I think, for somebody starting in photography to just go straight into street photography or documentary because. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, it's very demanding. So I liked, I think, initially learning and having all my time to focus like on a nice landscape where I could set up, you know, think, you know, wait for the light. And, and it was just reassuring to me. And then I think I needed that uh, as a in my trajectory to eventually get 
more comfortable with things that are more immediate and and require a little more speed and and uh, you know and, and just mastery of of the of the equipment. So eventually, I think maybe around 2010 or so, um, I transitioned to more street photography type stuff, but still at a kind of amateur, you know, just on vacation or whenever I had free time. And I that's when I also I started. I think the Fuji X um line started you know coming out with the x pro with one the and that yeah. sort of thing and uh it was a little bit more nimble for that sort of thing so i i sold all my nikon gear that was like you know i had like the big professional or whatever super fast nikons the first digital ones dx two d2x or whatever it was um with all kinds of lenses and i just went very simple to just x pro one one you know one lens i wanted to just experiment with that um, and then eventually made my way to, that was my kind of gateway drug to Leica. <laughs> I think we're, 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 we're the same on that front and we're not the only ones. Uh, I talked to a lot of photographers and for me, it was a, a Nikon D. I mean, I started with the D80, then the D700, which I still believe was one of the best cameras of all time. I had that one. That was my last Nikon. There it you go. That great. sensor was so good in low light again for, 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 you know, back then. Yeah. But uh, but then the X Pro again it changed changed the game for me and also uh, I guess um, a lot of photographers that wanted to have a lighter setup and the trade off in terms of image quality was not that bad and actually Fuji was offering a, a, a new color science approach and so on and so forth so I think uh, yeah. it's it's the natural path and now we're we're both actually shooting with with Leica cameras too but before we talk about the, the, the cameras I think there's uh, something interesting about the fact that um, you decided to say you know what I'm gonna spend a little bit more time understanding street photography so what 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 actually drawn you to street photography in the first place i mean i think it's just the inspiration from you know all the masters that you know the the um you know the winograns the bruce davidson's the the uh, cartier bresson you know all, all these people just i i kind of grew up with that those images around me and i think there was um I also there was there was a span of five years where we our, the kids were young enough and we would just pick up and leave in May for Paris. Uh, I was already living in LA and but we decided we wanted to you know raise the kids bilingual so we and and we wanted to spend some time in Paris visiting family and just you know just living in Paris as as well as in LA and so we would pick up and leave around mid May and spend a couple months in Paris. I would actually put the kids in school first day we got there <laughs> which was kind of <laughs> cruel because it was the end of the school year and they were already you know in in la it was like they weren't doing very much and then we'd put them in school in france and they'd have to like readapt and you know make friends and and like understand what was going on so anyway so we did this for a few years and i i um so i got like a couple of months um each each one of those years you know, just walking around Paris. And I think that's what kind of drew me into street photography because just Paris is just a natural place uh, to, to, you know, to do street photography. And a lot of the you know, kind of the birthplace of street photography in a lot of ways, you know, if you think of the Cartier-Bressons and so on. So uh, so I think that's what got me, you know, the bug, you know, into that that that, that phase of, of street photography that, that I never left. I, I can definitely relate the first time I went to, Paris and I had my camera with me I, I I was actually 
not nervous, but I was like, oh my god, this every everywhere you look, the backdrop is just super interesting and 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 beautiful. Or sometimes it's you know a scene that's more uh, Irish because there's some you know neighborhoods that are very very different. Uh, and and this is all walking distance. You need to walk Paris, I think, to understand yeah. you know the vibe and 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 get the local you know feel of it. Um, and by the way, your 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 work uh, in Paris very very impressive. I think I've seen a couple a couple of shots. I I know you're 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 more towards the US lately but uh, uh, you have to, to, to dig into the tons uh, uh, catalog because he's got some pretty incredible images uh, everywhere in the world uh, speaking of which w do you have one destination that you haven't been but that you know you want to be there with your camera and start documenting yeah I mean there's multiple I would say but I mean I, there's so many I haven't set foot in you know the I mean I've set foot in Africa but not um in in the you know central Africa or there's there's a lot of places and I haven't done very much in in South America and I mean there's so many places I have to <laughs> explore better but um I would say Japan is probably the one yeah. that that is uh, uh really interesting to me right now that I'm, I'm I could definitely imagine spending some time there and And I actually had a friend who just came back and said, you have to go do street photography there. It's just incredible. So um, that would be probably my number one on my bucket list, you know, for, for next destinations. Well, um, let's, uh, let's look at that because Anthony Bourdain said, and the guy traveled a lot, right? So he even yeah. went into, you know, to your point, Africa and eating with like tribes and stuff. And he said, one of the places I've been the most destabilized was japan <laughs> so yeah i think it's a it's a whole experience and i've got actually friends that to, to, to your point that are there and they're you know when you live there it's a bit different but for us who are from canada the u.s or north america when you go there you're like oh my god uh this is so different than everything i've seen but also the the the, the look and feel of the city itself um mm -hmm. i think i would uh, go there with a wide angle but sometimes you know you want to create that that bouquet i don't know what's speaking of which what what is your your, your current setup because you are a, like a, a, a ambassador and you do like a workshops and so on and so forth but is there a preferred kit when you travel speaking of of traveling um yeah i mean i it's really simple and kind of disappointing when i tell pe you know people who are into gear it's like i'm really not I'm a gadget person and I you know, but but when it comes to cameras I'm very minimal minimalist so my setup is really just a, a Leica monochrome and right now I'm using still the the M10 monochrome I know the M11 monochrome just came came out so I'm considering <laughs> whether I should make the the move or not and uh and a 35 millimeter yep Samilux that's that's all I I use I only use that that one lens I do have a couple other uh, Leica lenses that are vintage lenses that I've used for a project that are very, kind of very specifically for the project that I needed them for, but when I, which was not street photography, but when I do street photography or documentary, it's just that one lens, that 135 on my Leica monochrome. That's, that's very simple. I like it. You don't, you don't ask yourself, what do I put in my bag and this and that. Uh, yeah. I, I love that approach. Speaking of projects, um, I've been actually. This is how I discovered you, to, to be honest, um, with that uh, nowhere to go but everywhere project. And there's such uh, a hum human touch with humanity. I would say touch to, to that project. Can, can you walk us through a bit on how you imagined this project and how it came to life, and then it got published? So this is where I guess a lot of people discovered your your work also. 
Yeah, so th that was my second book. Uh, the first one being Venice Beach, uh, and that came out in 2018. So the second one, uh, which was kind of tied into that that first Venice uh, project, was well, is this nowhere to go but everywhere, and that got published uh, by the same publisher, Kara Verlag, in 2020. So right, actually, at the beginning of the pandemic, like we, we it was just the right worst time. timing ever. <laughs> it came out in May 2020. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> yeah. So uh, so I had you know shows canceled, everything canceled. That that book just kind of fell out of the sky, and nobody was there to to receive. I mean, it was you know people found it online and yeah. so on. And I guess that was a time where people were consuming a lot of photo books. So in that way, it was a good timing. But anyway, so um, the project, the way the project came about was. Uh, w when I was shooting the Venice Beach book, which is still available, by the way, we did a second edition and there's a little bit left of that second edition. Um, I, there was one picture in that book that I really love, and I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's definitely among my top five about this. It's a scene in a, um, uh, in a van and, uh, it's called hippie van. And there's basically a bunch of hippies that are, you know, smoking a joint and just talking to their dog. And there's a whole bunch of stuff happening in this one scene inside that van. And that picture, um, you know, kind of drew me into, you know, the, the question of like, I knew there were a lot of people living in, in vehicles in Venice uh, and I, I wanted to know more about them. Like I, I, this was the first time I was kind of piercing the veil and, and looking into one of those vans and, and being invited into those situations to, to be the fly on the wall. And I was just fascinated by it. And, and I, I was just, it was a question for myself, like, what are all those people? Uh, who are they? Why, you know, I know some choose to live in vans, some don't have a choice. Uh, and, and like, what is the uh, span of, you know, what is the diversity of people who are, you know, who, ha who have that lifestyle? And, and what does it look like? Because there's a lot of stigma and, you know, a lot of people think, you know, that's, you know, drag, drug addicts and alcoholics and it's, they're dangerous and this and that. And so I wanted to like, just find out for myself what, what was going on in all those vehicles. And um, so that was the, the project that I set myself to, to, to do after the Venice book was let's go and meet some of these people and see if there's something, a visual story to, to tell there. And I started um, basically, you know, just walking around and talking to people living in those vehicles, whoever, you know, was uh, willing to talk to me and uh, made friends with some of them and started, you know, photographing some of them uh, that were okay with me photographing them. And um, in the, you know, I, I might have like bumped into, you know, five, seven different, you know, situations that where I was starting to shoot and everything. And one day um, this bus showed up, uh, this school bus, and one of the people that I was already friends with said, hey, I, you know, those people just parked behind me. I just met them. They seem like great people. You might want to connect with them. They seem really interesting. It's, they live in the school bus. It's a family of five. There's three kids, uh, including, uh, it was at the time, a two-year-old, a five-year-old, and a 10-year-old. So like young children yeah. living in this little school bus. And the parents are from Brazil, and they're Mormons. And there's all those layers wow. to the story. I was like, <laughs> I have to meet these people. So I, I went to meet them. They were super welcoming, very interested in the photography. And they let me shoot like the first, you know, I, as soon as I met them, they're like, go ahead, just, you know, you know, be that fly on the wall. We, we don't mind. Just share the pictures with us. And um, I started photographing them more and more. And 
the more I photographed them, the more I realized they were the more interesting visual story of every, like uh, my original project idea was to show the diversity of, you know, so I, I was going to shoot a lot of different situations, but they were, their story was so multi-layered and interesting and visually appealing and everything that I spoke with my publisher and they were like, we think you could just make a book about them because if you start putting them in a book with other people, that story will be so diluted. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a waste. Like there, it's a, it's a really interesting story that has a lot of, um, uh, visual layers, but also just interesting, um, human aspects to just, you know, questions that, that, uh, come up, you know, about human condition and so on that are education and all kinds of things, raising your kids in, in this environment and, and the stigma that you get from the outside and like, all that stuff was in it. So I just, uh, I just decided to make the, the book about them. And, and so we, it, so the, the project sort of morphed. It's interesting when you start those projects, you don't know where it's going to end up sometimes. And this is a case where the project kind of got, you know, totally, uh, on a, totally different track, uh, but it was for the best and, and it, it, uh, it, wor it, it worked. I, I mean, I, 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 and I, I still keep in touch with them. This is a, it, it was a, one of those situations where, you know, you spend a lot of time with people and, you know, you, uh, you gain a lot more than just the photography. It was just a, a great experience just, you know, for, for me and they're great friends. Well, that's, now. that's very inspiring. <laughs> and, and those images again, um, I'm looking at one where, you know, the mother is breastfeeding in the background. You've got the, the little one on the counter and, you know, it's pretty much, you know, it's a mess in, in there, you know, for that it, it, day, that specific I, day. And one is yeah. like studying or, or looking at a, at a, at a drawing or something. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's seriously, it's, uh, well, first of all, it's one of my favorite image uh, among the, uh, the, the, the project, but also it shows that you can tell a story without, you know, having anything plan or anything scripted and so on and so forth when you oh, yeah. start documenting life there's hundreds thousands millions of stories unfolding at this very moment that you could be documenting so again it doesn't have to be super complicated to your point you have to be opportunistic you have to understand the opportunity in front of you you have to be able to pivot i guess your your years in startups you, you you've been able to to pivot very rapidly and say okay it's not that it's that let's go with that let's go with the flow you know right <laughs> So did yeah, you, I call, I yeah. call that the, the photo that you're referring to is also one of my favorites from the book, and uh, it's called War Zone. <laughs> it, it looks like a war <laughs> because zone. Because <laughs> the, the bus looks like a war zone in that photo. It's just things everywhere. And that's how it looked like most of the time. Like, that this, wow. you know, I step into the bus, and this is exactly... I, there was nothing staged in the whole project. There's nothing posed. Um, they know, uh, There's, I think, maybe one photo where we wanted to take a family photo where they posed for me, but of the rest of the book is is all just in the moment um and uh just life as it happened in that in that bus so it was yeah and you're right there's there's um um project ideas are everywhere it's not so much about the idea i think it's just you have to get out there and you might start with an idea like i, I know some of my students and some people i know you know who want to do projects agonize over what the project will be and what the idea should be and and then they never start it because they they're always sort of agonizing about like planning it and i think at some point you just want to jump in even if it's it seems like an unfinished idea and it's not totally holding up and it's doesn't make total sense and just start doing and then 
you know, and, and it will probably evolve and, but you'll end up finding an interesting story. I think the, the danger is more not to start. And yeah. because if you don't start, you're never going to find that story. I think it's that rule where that I really like, uh, 80% and ship or 100% and never ship. Uh, right. I think you have to be able to live with the 20% of wiggle room or, or uncertainty when you start a project. And to your point, the hardest part is to start. <laughs> so once you start, you get in the groove of things and so on and so forth and you embrace change. That's you know how, I guess, project comes to life. And a lot of people are looking up to you, Dutan, and, and they're like, okay, but Dutan is a, is a known photographer and he has access to publishers. But I want to remind everybody on this podcast and the listeners that Dotan started with zero followers, zero connection, like everybody else. And he had to work for it. So can, can you talk to me about the work ethic? Because I think you and Phil Penman and Matt Stewart and all these guys, you've got, you guys have such a high work ethic. You guys are putting in the work, but that's not something that people necessarily see all the time. They only see the, the end result, which are the great images that you guys produce, but they don't see the, the 10,000 hours you put in. So, so can you talk a bit more about the work aspect of it? Yeah, um, I mean, it, I think it's just about just put. It's just what we were saying about the project. You just have to go out and shoot. And sometimes you don't know what the project will be, and you find the project as you're shooting things that interest you. I think at the end of the day, a, a project has to be. I mean, I have kind of three criteria for that that have worked for me. That I've actually take, taken those three cr criteria from a business book that was about finding the right business so uh -huh. I'm, i'm definitely <laughs> using that background but i think it works very well for for photography as well for photography projects for me a, a project i can only go out and do it a lot if i love it like if i'm really passionate about the project it has to be I, there, there were projects that i was kind of forcing myself to do because i thought they were interesting and important but i wasn't enjoying shooting them and those projects never got finished because i just didn't want to go like I didn't feel like going out there all the time and shooting them so it has to be something I love I've discovered I can't I can't do a good project <laughs> that that people will enjoy looking at unless I'm really enjoying myself shooting it uh, and the se second thing is it typically takes some kind of advantage like um, in the case of Venice, Venice Beach is kind of in my backyard. It's it's just a few miles away. I can easily get there. I already know people there. Um, I I know the place really well. So I have a little bit of a I've developed a little bit of an advantage, um, you know, versus you know some you know other photographers who might just kind of drop in for a week and not really know the place or not have access to it all the time. So I think sometimes a, a project takes uh, like a, executing a project well takes like having some sort of an advantage either you speak a language that other people don't speak and gives you access to a certain culture or you can travel to a place frequently for work that you know other people can't easily travel to and so you have access to a country uh, more than you know other people would uh, like some kind of personal uh, advantage that you have doing that project and the third thing is I think it's good to pick something that other people are interested in because yeah. <laughs> you want people to look at your work. And unless the subject matter is interesting to people, your work just you know won't be seen. So I think those three things, but the first thing though is, is the love of the, the, the topic and, and, and wanting to be out there. I now, I, I know I've answered your question in a roundabout way, but it, the, the, I, I guess, what uh, got me, you know, started and 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 um, 
you know, got me to have, uh, I guess, my first successes and everything, well, I think was be because I was just out there shooting a lot and, you know, trying to learn from other photographers and just, you know, just working at working the craft um, a lot while, you know, on things that I was just loving uh photographing you know like yeah. venice is like a which i i still go to venice my latest project uh which, which is going to be a book uh soon is also shot there and it, i just can't help but going there it's if i have time you know on a typically on a weekend because it's that's when it's really that it really comes alive i'm there I, I and if i don't take a single photo that entire afternoon that i'm trying to take photos there because i don't find anything interesting i still have a good time i come back with a smile on my face even though i have nothing on my sd card <laughs> but it, it, i think it takes that it, that sort of passion of a place or a, a project to just go out all the time I'll tell you my yeah. my pet peeve just to finish on that question yeah, yeah, yeah. is sometimes I so I run uh workshops I I I I teach workshops and the thing that I I I try to really get people to shoot on a regular basis there are you know a lot of photographers that I'm sure they want to shoot more but they often just shoot on on workshops you know they go to a workshop they'll shoot you know for you know all day long for four days five days and they'll put the camera away. And even though they they do have time from time to time, and people are busy, so I, I understand that, but they they won't pull the camera out till the next workshop or till the next vacation. And I think you can't, it's really hard to get better that way. I think you get better, it's just very slowly. I think if you if you just, you know, go out at least once a week, you know, just it's a muscle. If you work that muscle at least once a week, the and you have so, so, some sort of a project to focus on. The the uh, progress that I've seen people do in those cases is just way faster than you know if, if you're just shooting, you know, on on workshops. Did you ever get someone coming back to you say, "I went to your workshop. I'm not improving. I want a refund." No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, they they learn a lot. But you know, even everything I can teach them in the workshop. I mean, I can see them making progress from the first day yeah, to yeah. the last day. The problem is. Like I said, it's a muscle. So unless they exercise the muscle, they're not they're gonna forget half the things I taught them. Of course. And it's it's not really gonna sink in. And then by the next, you know, six months later when they do the next workshop, they might have a little bit left from that, but it's it's not gonna it's not gonna make you know that huge a difference in in their photography. Yeah, to, to, to your point, photography is just like anything else. Uh, you got to put in your 10,000 hours if you want to develop. And uh, even then, you should. Uh, I'm looking at guys like Joel Maris. I'm sure he's learning stuff every day, uh, shooting still to this date on the street of uh, New yes. York. <laughs> yes. Uh, I want to talk about Venice because you just mentioned it. Um, you, it's in your backyard. But you made an interesting choice in terms of going about it black and white. Because it's so colorful, and uh, we mentioned pre-show. I've and by the way, you describe uh, the tourist who goes uh, uh, once a year uh, and, and doesn't have a lot of time, and that—that's me. That's me. I'm, I'm, and of course, the, the photos are, are becoming a bit more cliche because you're attracted to the stuff that stands out on, on their own. But you went deep into Venice and uh, some incredible images there. But I want to talk about your use of black and white. Why did you decide to go black and white, and especially for for that project when it's so colorful out there? 
Well, yeah. So, so um, when I started shooting the the Venice um, project, that was around 2015, and I was using this is when I switched to the Leica monochrome and the first monochrome that came out, and um, I felt like it was a really good match for Venice because Venice has sort of a timeless element to it that you don't necessarily see with your you know, with your eyes because of all the colors. But when you start seeing it in black and white, you can, you know, if you shoot, you know, so, some some of the the, the characters and, and the, you know, in the skate park and the bodybuilders and the, like the surfers and like the, yeah. that whole crowd in black and white, they look very timeless. You know, you don't know if the pictures were taken, taken in the 70s and the 80s, 90s, 60s. It's really hard to tell. Uh, and, and I... I when I started seeing what came out and how it made it look timeless, I really liked that aspect of it because you know I got to Venice, you know, kind of late, you know, compared to that era of the you know 1970s, the, the what they used to call it Dogtown, and it was this rough place, and and um, it 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 kept a lot of that character, but it's much more noticeable when you see it in black and white. So. Um, I, that's why it's the timelessness really that, that, um, kind of caused me to, to, to use black and white and stick with it. And, and would you say that now you're, you know, 99% drawn into producing work in black and white, or do you, do you go to color sometimes? I really don't, these days I know, I don't go to color at all. Um, I did some work in Cuba a few years ago. I, I, I went, uh, for a couple of different trips where that we were all about, you know, doing a project there. So it wasn't like a vacation or anything. They, they were actually like planned uh, kind of documentary trips. And um, there I just couldn't get myself to shoot black and white. I know I, I know some people have shot it in black, Cuba in black and white, and there's some great images made in black and white. I just, at the time I had both, uh, I was lucky to have both a, a Leica color camera and the monochrome, and I brought both. And the day I arrived, I was like, I, I put the monochrome in, you know, in the drawer and I basically was going out only with my color camera. Yeah. Um, but so that's the one time probably in, in my short career so far that I just felt like just black and white wasn't cutting it for me, but everything else, my really, my default is, is black and white. Yeah. And, and by the way, um, the way you, you edit, do, do you edit a lot? The files, like what's, do you have kind of a, uh, a, some people have rules or whatever, but like, do, do, you, do you like to spend a lot of time on an image or, or the, the shortest amount of time possible? So I, I so first, um, it might be confusing because I, I use the word, edit, the word editing for something different. So to, to me, I use the, the yes. photojournalist uh, uh, lingo. So editing for me is picking the right pictures. So it's like pictures, uh, selecting the pictures is editing. Processing is where I, process the picture and kind of, you know, tone it and so on, uh, crop it, you know, what, whatever I need to do to the picture um, is, is in processing. So I, I do spend some time in processing. I don't spend a lot of time, but I have a, a I usually use uh, for my street work, I, I use silver effects uh, quite a bit. Yep. And uh, so I, it's from Lightroom, it's a plugin. I, I go into silver effects and I have my own sort of recipes in silver effects that I use and to because I, I really like the high contrast but preserving a lot of the tonal range and I, I like just punchy blacks and you know that that sort of aesthetic so um, I find that that uh, you know processing uh, um, 
you know, that software really, um, you know, helps me get that visual, uh, you know, look. And um, so, it, it, but it's pretty simple at the end of the day. And I actually have, I think I have a couple of, um, I've, I've made a couple of tutorials uh, for silver effects that, that are on, on YouTube somewhere. Okay. Uh, and also on Mark Silber, who's a, another a YouTuber also had me do like some demo about. So if people want to see how I process my images in black and white, it's somewhere on YouTube. <laughs> well, I, I will find it and put it in the show notes uh, so people can enjoy uh, that process. If and, you're, yeah, if they're yeah. interested in seeing like what, you know, the, the, the sausage making. But, but I'm interested, yeah, I, definitely, I, I yeah. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, no, but I, I'm definitely interested in, in learning more on that front. But also uh, that uh, Arrested Dream project, which is, I guess, very different in terms of what the, the normal work you produce. How did you get to those type of, of, uh, of result, results creatively? Was it through processing or through, you know, uh, literally uh, putting two images together? How, how did you get there? So they're, they're single images. I, I know I, they look like double exposures, and that's the first reaction I get from people who look at them the first time. Uh, this is a this is a so I, just for uh, people who are listening who have no idea what we're talking about here. This is a project that is not street photography. It's a I guess you'd call it like a fine art uh, project yeah. or something. It's, it's it's more abstract. Yeah, uh, abstract landscape. You could call it maybe. I don't know. Uh, essentially what it was is um, I've been spending a lot of time in the past couple of years in the mountains uh, of California uh, near Yosemite. And I uh, got a place there and I've just been spending more time, you know, kind of splitting my time between LA and, and there. I just love the outdoors there and so on. Um, the problem I found there in terms of photography is there's not much street photography to be doing there might be some documentary and i'm you know i have some ideas about what documentary i could do out there but it's not like an urban environment like venice so i was completely like a fish out of water with my like uh you know just figure try, trying to figure out what to do one day i went into this uh historic state park uh called bodhi um which is a ghost town uh it's, it's probably the most famous or one of the most famous um western ghost towns in the u.s and uh it was a you know from the gold mining era the 1800s and so on and it's a big ghost town there's a lot of buildings left and so on and it's been preserved in a very um you know like realistic way like they they, they haven't they, they it's it wasn't made into a disneyland kind of thing where they redid everything but they they preserve the original structures really well and uh, and it's also a place that there's no termites it's like it's very dry so wood you know i guess lasts a long time so even though they're all like wood barracks they, they've been pretty you know they've they've stayed pretty much intact a lot of them so um i walked into that ghost town one day with my dog just walking my dog and with no intention i, I knew it was a it had been shot a million times it wasn't the kind of photography i know you know i, I typically do so i was like i'm just gonna play tourist and as soon as i started walking through the park and discovering the ghost town first of all there was this vibe i don't know you know it's probably all in my head about you know spirits and ghosts and everything like it just felt bit, very yeah. spiritual and like i was like stepping in this was spiritual experience and the 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 other feeling i had was i started looking through the windows because a lot of the windows are still like the glass is still on the windows and discovering that there was this um, overlapping of the reflection of the background uh, behind 
like the mountains and the you know this clouds and and you know what you could basically see on the horizon and mixed in with the interiors which were also preserved uh where you have you know inside the homes you have like tables and plates on the tables and you know a couch here and a uh chair you know rocking chair there and so on so you could if you looked at a certain angle in certain lighting situations which were kind of hard to find you could superimpose the two in the same picture with a single exposure wow. with no double exposure you're just basically trying to find the right angle and putting the camera all the way up to the window and and then you'd have sort of a double exposure look of the interior mixed with the background of the landscape so it became a game <laughs> i kept going back and trying to find those sort of like gold mining it reminded me of which you know it was fitting because it's a gold mining town i was like mining those pictures where that rare um, situation of, of overlapping background and, and, uh, interiors, you know, was visually compelling and helped the story there too. There was storytelling in terms of what it was like to live at the time, uh, the passage of time and, and all these things being in dust and then the landscapes in the background that were very dramatic and the, the light that's very dramatic anyway. So I, I kept coming back and finding more and more of them until I had a whole collection of, you know, different things that were kind of telling the story of the, the, what life was like at the time, but through this very double exposure look. Uh, well, and there, you know, to go back to your original question about processing, uh, silver effects, I think, and, and that whole, like really boosting the contrast and everything made those pictures a lot more interesting. Cause if I, hmm. a lot of them, if I showed you the raw files, it's kind of hard to know what you're looking at, but by really bringing out the shadows and really digging into all the, you know, the, the, the tonal range, you know, that, that I was able to extract in those digital files, then the image sort of came to life in, in the processing. So, uh, so it, I'd say processing was even more important there yeah. for that project than it was for my regular street photography. Because wow. I really was pushing the file to its limits. And this is also where the, the, having the monochrome to play with was incredible because you can't extract as much juice out of like a, you know, a color picture converted to black and white. Like it just doesn't have that same tonal range and you can't dig into the blacks as much and so on. So that's where I really felt like it, it was tangible um, that the file was giving me all this, you know, ability to play with, with, with things um, that I wouldn't have had on another sensor. Well, for, for, for sure, it made for some uh, very interesting perspective on this uh, location. And I'm sure not a lot of people uh, thought about, you know, photographing that location this way because, you know, people will be drawn into the signs or specific building and so on and so forth. So you've been able to, uh, you know, really create something unique. Um, have you been chasing those type of reflection outside of this location too? Did, did you get hooked or you're like, you know what, I'm done. This is the project. Now let's go back to regular programming. It came to my mind, you know, it definitely is something now I'm more attuned to it. So if I'm, you know, in Paris or wherever there's like a lot of uh, Venice doesn't really lend itself well to this because there's not a lot of windows and glass and, you know, it's or, or if they are like what's behind them is not that interesting. So, uh, but, but whenever I'm traveling or, or I'm, I'm now seeing those reflections a lot more vividly and I can sort of imagine what 
what they would be like as a you know double exposure type you know uh look so i'm I'm drawn to them more for sure uh, I, whether there'll be a you know project you know expanding outside of just that that uh, ghost town based on that i'm not sure but uh, I don't know if I get to Japan, you know, from what we're I, talking there about will be a lot of windows I, there. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this could be a, a way to photograph like Tokyo or something where you just, you know, take that as a theme and, you know, make everything through windows like this with reflections. It could be cool. And you would still go black and white in Japan. I don't know. I'd have to, uh -huh. I'd have to, you know, it's like, I, I, I'll know it when I see it kind of thing. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's very visceral. Like I can't, yeah um, and and some projects by the way like the you mentioned the nowhere to go to, but everywhere with the, the the people living in the the school bus i started shooting that project in color originally because the the van the the vans and the, the situations were so colorful and um inside and where there were people were dressed and i just felt like it had to be color and then for several reasons, I realized after a while that black and white was probably the better way to go. So, mm -hmm. so a lot, maybe half the pictures were shot in color and converted, and the other half was shot uh, in native black and white. Once I started basically deciding this was going to be black and white, but right. it took me. This is a project. This is the only project that took me a while before I realized it had to be black and white. Well, I think uh, the decision was the right one because it removes any. You know, artifact like it's really down to the human and 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 yes. and the way they're living it into that bus. So, um, kudos for that choice. Um, wh where do you go for inspiration? Because sometimes we we look at people, especially people who publish book themselves. Are you a a big uh, book uh, uh, type guy, or do you go more online or magazines so wh wh or movies even? Where do you get your inspiration after all those? Years? I'm, I'm definitely a photo book guy, so I, I have a big collection of photo books. And uh, I actually, one my uh, projects. I don't know when I'll get to it. I'm uh, hopefully soon. But I I want to uh, help people discover photo book more photo books. Mm. So one of my one of the things I want to do, which has nothing to do with actually photographing, it's more just teaching, I guess, photo books or 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 sharing the the joy and the wisdom of photo books with others. I'd like to do some. Um, videos about uh photo books and going in depth into some very famous photo books and in the spirit of like what can we learn from this and you know because there's a way i think that you can look at photo books just flipping the pages fl flipping through the book and enjoying the images which is you know very valid it's you know that's what most people do with photo books it's, it's you know and, and getting inspired by the photos just you know sort of by admiring the, the the photography inside the book, just you know, as you would read a, a normal book, but um, but there's another way of kind of deconstructing what you're looking at and being more in a sort of a, a reverse engineering <laughs> mode where you're trying to figure out how were the photos likely to have been taken what was the photographer looking for why did they choose those photos in the book as opposed to others like why why did those photos make the cut versus others why are they sequenced the way they're sequenced why did this photo lead to that photo lead to that photo like wh why not in a different order like if you start asking yourself a lot of questions about what's in the book i think you can extract a lot of learning uh, more so than just by looking at the images and being inspired by them. So th this is, I guess, one of the things I'd, I'd love to share with people is that way of looking at a photo book that's more uh, investigative, I guess. 
So I'm 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 sensing a comeback on YouTube, Dotan. Is that is that something we can? <laughs> it's, you're bank you're on? sensing right. I think this might be uh, uh, this this might be the the yeah. Because I, I tried a series on uh, a little while ago that was uh, kind of based on secrets behind the secrets behind the, Yeah, yeah, I saw that. And thing. people really liked it, and I really enjoyed making the videos. The problem was there's not that many photographs that I can point to a secret, you know, like that that I know something others don't uh or if i can figure something out that others don't and each one of those just required so much research like i would research for a month before i could put together a video and then it'd be the editing and all that stuff and it was just way too not repeatable enough and way too labor intensive but the photo books thing i have a whole collection of photo books <laughs> i can easily pick you know a hundred that i would want to dive into and dissect with people and i think there's just so much to learn from them uh that um you know i'd be really um it'd be very exciting for me to share it also i think it's it's an opportunity for me to dive deeper into those photo books you know it's always when you're teaching something yeah. i think you're learning at least as much as what you're teaching so um i'm, I'm looking forward to to doing that I think, uh, and you and I are, are also, uh, you know, business people on top of being photographers. So we like those uh, those those business books sometimes. But I think it's Simon Sinek who said, "Start with why," uh, and he wrote a whole book about it. And I think this is probably the best question you can ask, you know, uh, in this uh, in this world we live in. Because when you start asking why, you're starting to to get deeper and to understand, and you're extracting insights and value versus just information or you know visual information. And I guess to to go back to visual storytelling. A good visual story, I don't know if you're like me, but it's something that makes me feel something. It's not just pretty. It's not just good colors or composition or sharpness or whatever. It makes me right. feel something. So in order right. to be able to do that, uh, you need to be able to process in your head, why am I taking this image? What do I want to say? How do I want to say it? Uh, right. that's that's a little bit harder than just a nice uh, landscape nothing against landscape i know there's pretty good landscape photographers out there but um just saying if you want to use your camera as a creative tool to to, to tell a story there's a lot that goes into it so a series like that Dutton, i would be the first one to listen to it so uh, you can count on me for one view <laughs> maybe more right. if i want to go back to it but uh let us know when you when you launch that <laughs> yeah no i'm i'm hoping i mean I, i've already picked the first book which is i had to start with the americans by robert frank of course like the, the <laughs> most famous photo book of all times and, and in a lot of ways it kind of opened the way to a lot of other photo books um um and documentary and street photo photography kind of exploded from there so uh so that's the one i'm looking at the problem is I, i i was like going into something very simple and straightforward and like you know i had sort of a plan and then i discovered a book that is about the americans it's like it's, i think it's called looking in okay if you've ever seen it so, it's this massive book that was made about that whole making of the americans And it goes into, you know, Robert Frank's life before the Americans and then how he got the grant to make the Americans and then how he shot it. And, you know, there's lots of photos that didn't make it to the book. And, 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 and I got, I kind of fell into a rabbit hole and now I'm just like, Uh, it just threw you know, out the window my the simplicity of what I was going to do with that book. And I have <laughs> to find out everything. I'm, I'm kind of that way where I'm, you know, the, I, I kind of got um, sucked in to, yeah. to uh, you know, just understand the whole story. And uh, anyway, so once I'm out of the rabbit hole of that 
it looking in but if you if people can find it it's it's actually out of print now but i found like a decent priced copy uh it's phenomenal insight into the making of a you know the most famous photography project of all time mm. uh which you don't often get to hear the inside story of how a project like this was made especially one that you know gathered so much attention over the years uh, but this is like they go into minute detail about every single aspect of how that project got made, uh, which is incredible. So anyway, I highly recommend. If I, I, I will try to, to find it <laughs> online. <laughs> and speaking of books, um, Datan, we're, we're approaching the, the, the end of the, the podcast, but I really want to talk about what's next for you because um, I we've discussed about a few things. I don't know what you want to reveal or what you don't want to reveal, but I know there's some exciting stuff that is coming up and new work from you. So what, what we can expect uh, over the next few months and years? Yeah, so I mean, uh, I just set in motion something that I've been kind of waiting to do for a while, which is a, a book about the dogs of Venice Beach. I know nice. it's, it's, it's kind of like the, the part two of my Venice Beach book from 2018. It's, uh, I, I love dogs. I, I have a dog. I volunteer with my dog in the hospital. He's a therapy dog. Um, and he's, you know, He's one of my best friends. <laughs> he's my best furry <laughs> friend. And he, he's, uh, dogs are amazing I, for a whole lot of reasons. People, Some people who are listening will know exactly what I'm talking about. But in Venice, there's a whole thing with dogs, very quirky situations with you know dogs on skateboards and just all kinds of interesting dog situations. So I, I did street photography of dogs. Uh, pretty much since I started shooting the Venice book, whenever I see a dog situation, it draws me uh, in. And so I've been photographing dogs for f uh, five, no, more than five years, uh, eight years now uh, in Venice. So this will be kind of the culmination of of that. I have a lot of pictures to edit from. And uh, so I'll, I'm, I'm going to be working on making that book. So I just got the go ahead from the publisher. They're willing to do it. Uh, they're excited about it, and I have a whole vision for what you know, how I can draw on the the Dogtown, um, you know, history of, of <laughs> Venice. It used to be called Dogtown, not because of dogs, but because it was kind of a rough place with you know skateboarders and bodybuilders and all that stuff. Uh, so then there's a whole iconography of uh, Dogtown with like the Dogtown cross and the just there's a whole bunch of sort of tattoos and things that came up over the years. So I want to use that all that in 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 making sort of a pun on on Dogtown. And anyway, so that's that's uh, that's that's the book project I'm going to be working on for the next six months or so. Uh, probably will come out in Europe in May of 2024 and then the summer of 2024 in the US. Uh, if we've able, we're able to stick to the calendar, if not, it will be pushed back, but that's what I would expect. So, um, I'm, I'm going to be posting about this and Good. I'm, I, I just really literally got that go ahead from the publisher yesterday. So, so scoop it, on the visual storytelling podcast from Dutton. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's, I'm, I'm very excited about, uh, the storytelling with dogs is just, uh, it's, I, you're it's just fun. adding, and by the way, I'm a big dog lover too. I have a dog also, um, I have a question. That yes. that skater dog, I'll call it the skater dog. Yes. Did you know that he had his tongue out when you took the shot, or you'd look at the back and you're like, "I guess my picture just got upgraded." He's he has his tongue out while he's skating, 
And you right. manage to get that. And I, I know it's not about sharpness and stuff. You even have the other dog who's looking at the skater dog. It's, oh my God, this is, this is one of my favorite images of all time. Did you know it was such a great shot when you took it? You know, uh, I, I did. So the situation was there's this bulldog that uh, is skateboarding on the Venice boardwalk. And, you know, just an, a regular and, and, Tuesday and on the boardwalk. A dog is yeah, skating. Yeah, you know, the owner was there and she was, you know, kind of, you know, putting the skateboard in a certain direction. The dog would step on it and start like skating on his own, nice. uh, you know, with his paw to gain speed. And then like he, he, the only thing he couldn't do was turn. So you would like just go straight. And and then he would you know run into something and then she'd reorient the skateboard and he'd just keep going and so when I saw this I was actually I think with a student and uh, I think I was teaching a private workshop that day and I saw this and we started like focusing just on that and when I you know the only way I, I mean the, the way I I've decided I was gonna get pictures of this was I, I, I needed to be on level with the dog. So I needed to get my camera really low because I wanted to like be at the same level as the, as the bulldog. But the bulldog was going fast. So I, I was basically like crouching down, running backwards, you know, trying to... With a rangefinder camera. camera that doesn't have a flip-up screen. <laughs> no, so no screen. I mean, the screen wouldn't have helped. I, I was just... I was aiming in the dog's direction and I'm using a 35 millimeter. So it's a wide angle. So it's a little, you know, if you don't have to be exactly precise and I, I've learned to sort of shoot without looking through the viewfinder that way. So I can have my camera really low, but this, it was not just shooting from like kind of, you know, uh, lower level. It was doing that while running backwards <laughs> and keeping the camera low, trying to keep up with the dog. Wow. And, and obviously I don't have autofocus. So I also had to keep like a, a certain distance with the dog. So anyway, it, it was it was difficult to do and I wasn't sure what I was going to get. I did see that there was this big Great Dane, you know, that was we were that was going to be in the background. And I thought it'd be cool to have him. You know, I, w I didn't know that Great Dane was going to look back, but I, I thought it'd be great to have him have him in the background. So I was aiming to like trying to have it in the background. Meanwhile, I'm not looking through the viewfinder. I'm just clicking while, you know, clicking the shutter, trying to find moments while I'm like aiming the camera as well as I can while I'm running backwards, all that stuff. So, I mean, in that case, I got lucky that the, the Great Dane was looking, you know, looked back just as I pressed the shutter and, and the bulldog was sticking his tongue out which bulldogs often do that's, that's i you know i know but like just that the, 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 <laughs> everything together makes this very very it's interesting a funny, and, uh, yeah, yeah it's a it's, it's a very funny moment it, it might end up being the, the cover of the book i'm not you know this whole you know it, these things depend on the publisher a lot yeah. but uh, well, we don't I, want to influence I, the publisher, but uh, I I violently agree with that uh, decision. <laughs> <laughs> if uh, if you hear us, you should do it. Uh, man, that's such a great project. So so um, so that's the, the, the what's next for you. Uh, if people want to know more about uh, either the the workshop or the the books that you're you're talking about, where where should they go? So um, on my website, so I have a, a workshop. I don't know if we've, I don't think we talked about it, the two of us before the show, but yep. it's it's going to be, uh, I'm, I'm doing, this is my first post-COVID workshop uh, in person. It will be in Santa Barbara uh, for the Santa Barbara Summer Solstice Festival. Uh, we're going to be documenting, the students are going to be documenting the festivals, including backstage access to the uh, preparation to the festival and then the parade itself and so on. 
And what's really special about this workshop is I'm going to be teaching the photography aspect of it, uh, the actual like photography of like documenting what's happening. But I, I'm doing it in collaboration with Gail Fisher, who's an amazing photographer and editor. She edited both my books. So we've worked together a lot. Um, and I trust her for editing more than anybody else. She, uh, she'll be there teaching people how to edit. So again, selecting the best yes. photos <laughs> is what I call editing and sequencing the photos to tell a story. So that's really, she's done this for uh, the LA Times. She was working for the Los Angeles Times for most of her, her career. She edited lots of books with National Geographic. So she's an incredible resource. And so we'll be teaching this workshop together uh, for, you know, which is going to be really about storytelling and, and choosing that um, Solstice Festival as like the, the story that we, you know, people will be documenting. This will be June 21st through 25th uh, coming up, uh, 2023. It will be five days and um, it will be in Santa Barbara, California. So if people want to get more information about this, they can go uh, to my website, which is dotansegi.com. And uh, you can see my name probably on the podcast. You'll have my yes. name on there. I know and the link and the link. <laughs> yes, and then the uh, if you go to the workshops tab on my website and uh, you go to in person workshops, that's the workshop that's currently listed there. So pretty, nice, pretty easy to find. It's a. It, I mean, it's going to be an incredible. I think we're we already have uh, most of the people signed up, so we only have a few spots left. So if you're if you want to do a serious workshop about storytelling. This is, I mean, it's an incredible opportunity. Well, I think now I want to be part of that workshop too. So there might be one spot left. Uh, <laughs> when, uh, <laughs> yeah, I would hurry uh, up if, yes. somebody, if people want to sign up for this because it's filling up very quickly. It's very nice, very nice. So, uh, Datan, I want to thank you personally uh, for taking the time today uh, out of your busy schedule. And you've been very generous. And we've talked about a lot of aspects of visual storytelling. We talked about you know the great work you've done, but also some tips for people who want to embrace photography in, in their life. And it's the time is the, the proof that you know you can transition from one career to another one. And if photography is your thing, you should just start. That's what I'm getting out of this conversation. So Datan, I wish you a very uh, pleasant reminder of your week and we'll keep in touch. I will put all the links that we discuss down below. And if you want to give this podcast a five-star review and share it with your friend, I'm sure you have one friend out there that would benefit from hearing this conversation we just had between uh, Datan and myself. And if you want to reach out to me or Datan for that matter, you can uh, uh, send me an email or do a comment on the, the podcast and uh, we will uh, get back to you as soon as we can. Until then, Dotan, thank you again so much for joining me today. You're so welcome. It was a pleasure uh, being on your show. Big Cheers. Fan. Take care. <laughs>